Shift. En een goedemorgen. Dit is Studio Shift van In The Pocket. Bij ons in de studio intussen Stefanie de Puint. Goedemorgen. Goedemorgen. Product manager bij In The Pocket om het te hebben over inclusive design. Waarom is het belangrijk om hier nu vandaag te praten over inclusive design? Wel, het is sowieso belangrijk dat alle gebruikers die onze producten gebruiken, of eender welke digitale producten gebruiken, dat die het ook wel degelijk allemaal kunnen gebruiken. Uh, maar zelfs inclusive design gaat ook veel verder dan dat. En het is daar dat we het vandaag ook uh, over willen hebben. Um, wat dat ook al belangrijk is, is I'm going to switch to English. We're mm-hmm. going to do this in English. Why? Because uh, last week we did an interview with Jen Kazensky-Devins. Um, <coughs> she is the head of accessibility UX at Google. And of course, she lives in the US, so she talks in English. Now, uh, luckily, our live guest, Johan Verstraten, uh, speaks about six different sign languages. So we can just do this in English to make it easy for everyone. Uh, hi, Johan. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Uh, maybe just a short explanation. So Johan is an inclusive design uh, leader. Uh, he has worked for a lot of different companies, I guess, in Belgium and in the US on a freelance project. Um, but his voice will be uh, female because he happens to be deaf and he has his interpreter with him today in the studio. Uh, so he'll do the signing and she'll do the talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I explain it correctly? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm very sorry that I have a female voice. Maybe one day we can have an artificial intelligence change it. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> um, but maybe to start off, we'll start off with some theoretical definitions. Um, we often talk about accessibility and about inclusive design. Now, these things are not the same. Um, and maybe we'll start off with a... a uh, clip of Jen's interview where my colleague Niels uh, asked her this question exactly last week. So uh, this, I think this is an important topic to talk about definitions too and terminology because there's, um, there's a lot of, I think, fuzziness between some of these things we were talking about. So accessibility to me is really about ensuring that um, people with disabilities uh, are able to perceive, understand, navigate, and interact with products, services, tools, whatever it is, um, in order so that they can contribute equally. So that's kind of the, the ultimate goal. And the, the specific focus there, obviously, is people with disabilities. Um, and then when we start talking about inclusive design, uh, I would say, taking a step back, sorry, uh, accessibility is kind of a an outcome, right? Like that's the end result that your product is accessible. And that's, that's definitely what we want. Inclusive design. When we talk about that, that's more of a process. And um, again, that's ideally just the design process, not a separate one. And um, here is an inclusive design is where ideally from the beginning, you're thinking about, um, well, not even just thinking about like getting in there and understanding the needs of um, more diverse users. So going even beyond accessibility, thinking about um, race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status, um, that kind of taking that into consideration throughout the process um, is, is also equally as important as um, ensuring that your product is accessible. So uh, that was Jen's response. Johan, would you agree with her definition? What defines for you the difference between accessibility and inclusive design? Well, first of all, I agree with Jen because I've been working with her. She's been my mentor at Google for a very long time. 
Um, the thing is, is we need to understand that there are different perspectives, both from Europe and the United States regarding uh, design in general and inclusive design. In the U.S., um, there are laws set in, set in place, such as the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, so, you know, it was there was a, a lot of um, uh, militant work towards accessibility and the access to equal rights for people with disabilities. In Europe, it's a little bit different because there are no general accessibility laws. It's more diverse. The approach um, to inclusive design is more important to have an overlap and an integration of inclusive design and accessibility so that it can be integrated um, into two different disciplines that actually overlap. Inclusive design, don't forget, is more about um, the environment and the situation that you're in. So people who are of different socioeconomic backgrounds, people of different ages, um, whether they be elderly or young, need to be taken into consideration in inclusive design. And in Europe, um, diversity is a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, U.S., it's a different challenge. Um, because here, with sign language, for instance, we have so many different sign languages and so many different spoken languages. So that sort of diversity creates a little bit more of a challenge. And um, we are working on doing some exchange between the U.S. and Europe between those uh, different perspectives. I actually um, give uh, counseling and um, consultation from the European perspective to U.S. inclusive designers. Okay, cool. And um, what then are the types of value that that inclusive design can bring to your product? What are the main reasons why you should work inclusively? Well, there are a lot of different added values. One example is... I'll explain before. So accessibility probably has less impact. It be, That's because it focuses on a smaller group. It doesn't have less value. It just has less impact and it's less valued as a group because it's smaller um, whenever we think about inclusivity we're thinking about a much larger group which means that you're going to in the end have a resulting higher ROI or return on investment so it's not only about financial benefits but also social benefits and social impact more and more people um, as they interact with each other um, and have more diversity create uh, less hate, less animosity and um, more love, harmonization and cooperation. So it depends on the company's philosophy as well and the product that we're focusing on. If we're looking at service design, um, there are different values that can be added. It just depends on the perspective. Okay. And um, our colleague Niels also talked to this with Jen. Uh, we have a fragment where she talks about this value of inclusive design from her perspective and also how we can communicate this to our stakeholders. The goal is and the hope is that people recognize the benefit of this, um, not just from their business perspective, because that it does, it can improve your business, right? Like who you can reach and, um, the, and the loyalty of your users. I mean, it, it can go really far. Um, uh, but we're hoping that, you know, by seeing the benefits of this, that uh, teams are willing to prioritize and make the time for it. Yeah, also it, it would improve it for, for all users and not specific uh, user groups. Um, and that's, that's maybe also something some stakeholders don't always see, and it's not because of bad intentions, but they're um, thinking about the money and time that gets into it. Um, and when they say um, it costs us too much to, to focus on a small um, user group, is there something you would say to them or what would you say to them um, 
when you hear a comment like that, it, it takes too much time or it's too expensive. Yeah. And this again gets back to that um, message around the fact that yes, there are, well, one, the, the number of people with more permanent disabilities is not small. It's like 1 billion plus user, people across the, the world. Um, so there is that, again, that angle of you could be, you're missing out potentially on not just these direct users, but their friends and family. And there's a lot to be said of when friends and family or actual users um, see that companies or um, products are focusing on this, that they do become more loyal. They're more interested in, in sticking with that and seeing like where they're going to take it. So that that's one angle. But then again, um, going back to this notion that we will all have some disability at some point because of temporary and situational ones, we um, sometimes share the number of like, uh, there's there's actually about 6 billion plus people who are temporarily able-bodied, you know? That means like, yes, we might have our uh, full abilities right now, but uh, given any certain circumstance, we might lose that. And so it's really no noting that this truly is helping everybody in these different situations. Yeah, so I, I really like this segment of the interview because I think it's an interesting quote of Jen that um, you have this large group of permanently disabled, but we're all just temporarily able-bodied. Uh, it makes the, the, the potential group of people that we're doing this for so much larger and makes the value so much clearer. Um, so, Johan, just to make this a bit more tangible for the listeners, do you have any real-life examples of what you did in certain companies or certain projects to, that really shows that value of thinking more broadly and using more different experiences from different types of users in your design? Yes, well, um, that's one of my favorite parts as well, actually. Um, I'd like to add something. It's about um, the difference between temporary and permanent disabilities, but also we're talking about environmental and situational disabilities, which actually grows that market much more. I'll give you a concrete example. We're in the pandemic right now. Many of us are in lockdown, and a lot of people have situational disabilities or environmental disabilities. Those um, coming from, you know, whenever you go someone and you go somewhere and you order like a burger at McDonald's, and we have to use those touch screens. Now we're very paranoid about touching things after other people, and so we have a kind of touch fear. So now we need to think about how we can solve that problem, how we can find a touchless solution. Now, people who already use gestural controls or who already use gesture as their main method of interacting with the environment can grant us inspiration on how to overcome that situational or environmental disability. Um, you know, a way that we can interact with technology without touching it means gestural control. And I believe that sign language users are wonderful inspiration and give a positive perspective for how gestures can be used to interact with interfaces. Um, also, when you think about um, touchless, you're also thinking about people who have visual um, disabilities or um, visual impairments. Not only that, people with movement disabilities. So all of them can then inspire a solution for this design problem. Um, haptics, so touchless, any sort of touchless interaction using haptics um, is great for people who are uh, blind or visually impaired and they can grant us a lot of inspiration and insight. We hebben het over inclusive design. Uh, gaan we over verder praten. Want hoe breng je dan inclusive design die mindset in je team of in je bedrijf? 
well, back to English. <laughs> we, uh, we asked that exact same question to Jen last week. Um, she, of course, works at Google, which is an uh, enormous company, big scale. So we asked her how that structure looks like at Google and how they work with inclusive design teams. And you see it's a, it's a centralized team. So do you see any advantages over um educating a team separately or just a centralized team that can um, act as a consultant for other teams? Do you see any any, any, any more um, improvements in that or, or, or does it work better? Yeah, I think um, in, if you know, a company has the, the resources, uh, the ideal um, setup is to have a centralized team but also have um, it's kind of like a almost like trickle down in a way like you have the centralized team and then within the different product areas uh, to have also some people dedicated to accessibility but definitely you also want everybody to be thinking about this like my my ultimate goal outside of google even is just as designers and researchers and engineers you know we just it's just part of the process because it is focusing on accessibility and just being more inclusive is just good designs. So that's my ultimate goal. Um, but what we've seen is um, because it is important for everybody to kind of get some experience uh, to have just like one team that works on accessibility for other teams isn't ideal either. Uh, so to have a central team that's really um, knowledgeable and is kind of in this space and working with these users um, on a day-to-day -day basis, that is really important to help teams with maybe some of those trickier problems or um, like, yeah, just more thinking a bit more um, out there for different product ideas. Uh, but then having the knowledge uh, within the product teams to understand like just the, the foundational, really fundamental things of how to ensure that a website is accessible. Like we want everybody to be aware of that and practice that as well. So uh, the, yeah, the long answer is ideally you have a bit of both like the centralized team and then everybody else is also still responsible. So uh, you heard Jen talk about that at Google, they have a centralized team and also some specialists distributed across the dream teams. Now, of course, Google is a very large company, um, mainly situated in the, in the US, so there are definitely differences between companies. Uh, but Johan, how do you believe we can bring this inclusive design mindset into our teams or companies? What would you say is the most efficient way, maybe even in the Belgian context? Okay. So I've been um, I've been and seen and audited a lot of different companies. Um, one of the things is Adobe is a little bit small, but has a much bigger approach. Um, one of the things is that they focus a little bit on research and make sure that your teams are actually already diverse. I believe inclusivity and including including diversity within the teams, whether it's big or small, is the easiest method. Um, also, having that trickle-down effect uh, is important, but it depends on the structure of management, whether it's vertical or horizontal. If you have a horizontal management structure, it's much easier, actually, to create more diversity within that team um, or within the entire company. It just makes it a little bit harder. Netflix is a little bit better about that as well. But one of the first, set, uh, first steps is awareness. After awareness, we go on to changing mindsets and then creating a growth mindset. 
If you want quick impact, what's most important is that every team, the team, my dream is that actually every team, my ultimate goal is that they have at least one person with a diverse ability, not just um, any, not just a person who has a disability, but any experience of exclusion. And a lot of us have experiences of exclusion that we don't understand that are very rich and that we can share with our team members and help us to understand um, the situation of people with experiences of, of exclusion. For small companies, it's very hard to say, okay, you just need to hire a lot uh, more diverse work workforce. Um, but one of the things right now is that as a freelance consultant, I try to help teams actually observe the diversity within their own uh, workforce and uh, make observations and grant them audits about that. What's very important is to first make them uncomfortable. So that's the first <laughs> thing, you have to become uncomfortable. Once people are uncomfortable, then they're willing to learn. And then they are willing to actually unlearn what they have always thought and then relearn new concepts and then to do that in sort of an iterative process. A lot of people are very stubborn about that. It hurts. And so you have to kick them in the butt to get it going. So it depends on the company and their, their perspective, their mission statement. Um, and you kind of have to follow the philosophy that's already set in place and kind of work around it. Okay, so we all just need a good kick in the butt. <laughs> That's what I'll remember. <laughs> um, I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> um, we also talked a bit more about some practical tools or methods that some teams uh, could start using if they want to yeah, dive into it uh, today uh, with Jen. And we're going to listen. I think it, it keeps coming back to any which way you can, like, interact and reach out to real users. So again, this could be um, through uh, doing actual research um, or even more ideally bringing people in, uh, you know, through co-design workshops or participatory design workshops, even um, setting up like uh, a panel of a few people that you can kind of meet with regularly and um, share the progress. I think the key is like, the, again, the earlier that you can share some of these ideas and concepts, the better. Um, and, and I know that, again, seems maybe challenging and daunting, but there are many different ways you can go about that. Um, again, even if it's just first researching on the internet and understanding, um, searching up videos of people that have different disabilities, because there's a lot of great um, information out there that people are willing and wanting to show, like, this is how I use this product, or this is, you know, and, and just kind of getting a bit more um, immersed in that space. But again, the, the ultimate goal is to actually go out and, and talk um, and uh, interact with, with different users. And then uh, I know you asked for only one tip, but I would also say like the, again, just at a very fundamental level, um, ensuring that you're following accessibility design guidelines um, that just will help, it will help unblock a lot of unnecessary blockers, if that, if that makes sense. So just making sure that those things are addressed in your applications um, can go a really long way. 
So yeah, you heard uh, Jen talk, but yeah, first off, the accessibility guidelines, we all know them, uh, they're widespread, so we just have to implement them, there's no excuse there. But then for some broader, more inclusive design perspectives, she talked about talking with users. Johan, do you have, to, do you have any additional methods that you really like to use or additional tips? Yes, well, what I have been doing as a practice in design management is trying to make inclusive design management actually connected with the design management process. So that means, as Jen said, coming on in from the very beginning of the design process from research and actually implementing an inclusive design layer over the entire process that's already there. A lot of times we start with why, and I actually change that process and the framework to starting with who. So we start with who, we start with the users, and we do research with them, we include them. And if we don't do that, then the entire design process actually kind of goes off. So within the research phase, that's the biggest challenge. And as Jen said, yes, it's very important to include users from diverse backgrounds. But another challenge is also to try and know about um, people with different types of disabilities, people who are deaf, people who are losing their hearing. Um, uh, the, the thing is, is you want to use people in the most extreme examples of these situations as possible. Um, so start from the extremes, um, and then you can get actually the opposites as well, and then bring those two together. So if we're looking at people who are truly deaf, and we're also bringing in people who are, who are truly um, blind, perhaps for that lifetime, and then actually ideate with them, actually get come together and become inspired. What's important is that a facilitator of a workshop like this or a group activity like this, and that's been my training, that's the, the work that I do. I, I'm a workshop facilitator creating innovative and inspirational um, opportunities for people who are actually in the room. The important thing is to make sure that everybody has an equal voice, um, and I use manipulators to do that. Um, what's important is that we then take that ideation and we actually implement those ideas. Um, if we don't do the research phase, then implementation is a challenge. We can't bring the users in at the very end. We need to use the inspiration from sign language, from the ideation, and then bring that all the way through, not just to our prototype, but all the way through to our business design, to our branding, to truly implement that. Then once we get to that phase, we go back to the beginning. And we make sure that our process is iterative. So we want to make sure that that's a circular process, that we continue doing that over time as we learn from what we're doing. That's why I don't like to design for accessibility because it's just checking off boxes. It's great to have the guidelines, but it's not enough. A lot of times we also talk about empathy building and sometimes that can do more harm than good. I like to talk about actually creating compassion. It's understanding, listening and watching people and trying to understand where they're coming from, but then following that up with actual action. And also globally, this is called human-centered design, and that is one of the true perspectives that I want to um, make an impact on, is that human-centered design is really about good design, as Jen said. Inclusive design is good design. It's design for everyone. And then design developers can check off their accessibility checklist with no problem because it will have already been implemented from the beginning. Yeah. So. Actually, inclusive design shouldn't be a word, it should just be good design. For everyone. For everyone, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 
Johan, I already want to thank you for uh, coming to the studio, but um, to make it uh, to already be more inclusive, we wanted to end this section with the voice of the user, of course. Uh, so last week we did some very casual interviews with a diverse group of users and uh, we just talked with them about how they experience technology and, and how they use it throughout their day. And uh, one of the important questions that we asked at the end was what tip that they would have for people who work on digital products every day? What uh, perspective do they bring uh, to the table? Uh, so we made a, a short compilation of that and we would like to end with that. En on topic leek het ons ook interessant om echte gebruikers aan het woord te laten. Zeg eens, wie zijn jullie? Ik ben Bart Schrooyen. Stef is 33 jaar oud. Ik kom uit Limburg. Ik uh, woon wel in Gent en sukkelen is veel gezegd, maar ik heb al heel mijn leven dyslexie, dyscalculie, noem het maar op. Uh, daar sukkel ik denk ik al mee vanaf, of wanneer is dat eigenlijk echt eruit gekomen, dat is lager onderwijs. Dus uh, vol, volop jaren negentig was daar in het begin nog redelijk wat onbegrip voor, denk ik. Uh, ja, dan wordt je eerder gezien als traag, uh, lui, dat soort dingen. Ik ben dus Didier, ik ben uh, 34 en al zeker 31, sorry, 33 van die jaren blind. Ik heb gestudeerd aan de universiteit, uh, taalletterkunde, ben tegenwoordig DJ. Uh, als in, niet in coronatijden ben ik DJ. Dus uh, interesse in technologie, literatuur, muziek en uh, alles wat daar een beetje tussen valt. Mijn naam is Muriel Meijveranen. Ik ben geboren in Liverpool, 15 januari 1939. Um, ik ben uitgeweken naar België met mijn ouders in 1952. En, ja, en dan um, hier naar school geweest, middelbaar gedaan. Uh, um, gehuurd met een Belg. En uh, je dochter? Ik ben uh, Tom van Oven. Ik ben al sinds mijn geboorte slechtziend. Dat is 1, 10 en 1, twintigste. Maar omdat ik genoeg gezichtsveld heb, um, gebruik ik geen witte stok. Maar ik gebruik wel vergroting en andere aanpassingen. Soms ook spraak, maar niet volledig. Ik ben William. Ik ben uh, 39 jaar. Ik werk bij de VDAB in de IT-dienst als incidentmanager. Ik ben volledig blind. Ik heb ook een blindgeleide hond. Ik ben al heel lang geïntegreerd door IT. En ja, het is ook vaak veel frustratie, dat moet ik wel toegeven. En soms steek het mij ook wel tegen, maar je kunt er toch wel veel, veel dingen gemakkelijker door uh, maken. En er is zeker nog veel verbetering mogelijk, maar uh, ja, alle kleine stapjes helpen wel. Er zullen heel wat mensen naar dit gesprek luisteren die elke dag bouwen aan digitale producten. Wat zou je hen graag willen meegeven, Bart? Tekst gebruiken is oké, okay, maar denk twee keer na over de woorden die je daar effectief zet. Wat wil je eigenlijk echt zeggen? Als je iets met, met tekens, images, wat dan ook kunt doen, ook gebruik dat liever dan iets anders. Maar ook daar uh, ja, probeer het zo gewoon eenvoudig mogelijk te houden. Wat vind jij belangrijk, Muriel? Met de meeste vind ik uh, zeker op de taal met een uh, ieder van de belangrijkste dingen. Maar wat ik, zo, zo, dat is ook zo'n woord dat ik uh, ook altijd mee werk. Groep, groepschats. 
de moeten toch een ander woord voor zijn. Dat kan ik op een aannemen dat er de naam van de mensen niet weet hoe dat, dat overkomt. Dat is waar. Ze zijn zo, zo van die woorden, dat je dat toch wel wat meer in. Wat is jouw advies, Tom? Het zijn zo dingen waar je over kan nadenken, wat dat er allemaal met technologie kan en dat soms een keer goed is om met mensen te spreken en out of the box te denken wat dan hun noden zijn en dat je misschien als appontwikkelaar verder kan gaan dan gewoon een, 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 een iPhone-app te maken. Wat vind jij cruciaal, William? De meest elementaire is dat je dingen met toetsenbord kunt doen. Hè. En de tweede, op de tweede plaats is dat alle informatie leesbaar is. Maar die zijn eigenlijk bijna gelijkwaardig aan elkaar. En de derde is dat er een een logische navigatiestructuur in de website zit of in de app zit. Dat zijn eigenlijk de, de drie ja, basisspelers waar dan een website of een app moet aan voldoen. Studio Shift.